Welcome to TSOB with Dr. G, a podcast featuring intellectual table talk about race and sexuality. I'm your host, Dr. Tracy Q. Gilbert, a sexuality educator, writer, and researcher. Join me as I talk with the most brilliant minds in human sexuality, applying a professional Black lens to discussions about sexiness, health, and healing in the new millennium. It's TSOB, the sex ed of Black folk. Let's get to the get down, shall we? All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of TSOB with Dr. G. I am Dr. Tracy Gilbert, and y'all... Y'all know I'm always excited, but this is hands down the most anticipated interview that I expected to have this season. And so I am ready to get in it. We are not going to waste any more time. But I also want to read Louis' uh, bio real quick so y'all are clear about why he needs to be on this show. Um, Louis Ortiz Fonseca is an Afro-Boricua, queer, HIV-positive, creative, born and raised in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He is the creator of Grand Varones, a digital project focused on history, culture, and storytelling through a Black Latinx lens. He also works in partnership with young people living with HIV to combat stigma and hosts a YouTube series for LGBTQ youth called Kiki's with Louie. Louie is the father of an 18-year-old son and worships the patron saint Mariah Carey as we all should. And I would like the record to reflect that I spent at least 15 minutes just meditating off of One More Again to get ready for this conversation just because that's the <laughs> mood I was in and I wanted to get in to be present yes, yes. here today. So without further ado, Louie, thank you so much for being here with me yeah. on TSOB. <laughs> you done with TSOB? Yeah, you know me. Yes. You done with TSOB? Yeah, you Listen. know me. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go ahead and get started. Um, Louis, the question that I ask um, pretty much all my guests is, where are you from? Where are your people from? And what's got you thinking about sex and sexuality these days? Um, I am... Born and raised in North Philadelphia, and yes. that is where uh, my people from. My grandmother is a Black Puerto Rican, so she came here in the '60s, and that's as far back as my family history goes. Like, I don't know anything before that. I don't even know anything. Um, what is the word like beside her? Like, I know that she has sisters, um, mm -hmm. but so like a lot of my history is framed around like growing up with my mother and my six brothers in North Philadelphia. Um, so like if folks follow, you know, Gran Varones or even my personal Instagram account, that's why a lot of that, um, a lot of my stories are, are around that time, especially in the 90s. And what has me thinking about sex and sexuality um, right now, I would say it is the lack of touch or just even mm -hmm. being with um, people in community talking about what we did, what we want to do, um, what we shouldn't have done, all, all of that stuff. So I, I miss think, you know, I, I miss talking about um, sex and pleasure with my friends. Yes, yes, that seems like such a common answer. That I mean, obviously, a common answer that a lot of folks have is that with COVID, with the the need to quarantine and to segregate ourselves, like it's really taken a toll on what would otherwise be our natural inclination to be up under each other and to, you know, not only physically, but, you know, verbally and in all ways, just be in each other's energy. So I definitely, definitely resonate with that. 
I want to ask you, you were very clear to specify that you are a black Puerto Rican. Tell the people kind of what, what, how that distinction shows up for you and, and why I'm assuming that it's important to make that distinction. Why you think it's important to make that distinction. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think that the first, um, you know, what, the earliest memory that comes to mind around that is I remember going to, you know, growing up, um, didn't think, you know, we grew up in black spaces and black neighborhoods. And my mother um, always reminded us that, you know, get your black ass in a house, right? So it wasn't until I got older that um, I think you become conscious of like how people see things differently. Mm-hmm. Right. So one of those is I remember being 13 and walking to the store and there was this black guy, this two drug dealers fighting on 9th in Indiana. And there was a black guy fighting a Puerto Rican guy. And these were drug dealers that my brothers hung out with that were all friends. But it was this fight that all the Puerto Ricans were saying, get him, get him to the Puerto Rican. And all the black guys were saying, get him to the. And it was the first time I was like, oh, Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, there, there's something here. Like it, it, that always stuck with me. Like, oh, when we're in a fight, there are distinctions, right? Right. And then when right. I started to go hang out in gay clubs, because um, you know Philadelphia is a you know metropolitan city, um, but it, it is like uh, like America. It is very segregated. Facts. So I would, you know, just be fagging out and someone would come over to me and be like, um, somebody told me you're Puerto Rican. What kind of Puerto Rican are you? Are you black Puerto Rican or white Puerto Rican? Mm. Because mm-hmm. e- externally, there were Puerto Rican gay guys who hung out with white gay guys. And then there were Puerto Rican guys who hung out with black gay guys. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. like those were like my earliest, because the way we talk about race and the way we talk about Latinx is very different than the way we talked about it in 1993, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I want to remind folks mm-hmm. that even when Amara La Negra, there was conversation around her blackness. I mean, so much has happened that we forget that that was a moment on Twitter. Mm-hmm. So if that was only just mm-hmm. a couple of years ago, you can only imagine what the conversation was like in 1993, Facts. but it was still Facts. present, right? Because yeah. um, while there's, there's ethnicity part, it was clear that people were asking, where are you? And kind of like what you asked, where are your people from? How do you move through mm-hmm. the world? I would, you know, become mm-hmm. more familiar with that language later on. Um, but yeah, but there is a distinction. Um, and I think in terms of when we talk about sex and sexuality, you know, when we talk about bodies, we have to be clear about those distinctions when we're talking around about Latinx folks, right? Because, yeah. you know, the same way that the general, quote unquote, knowledge around sex ed and sexuality, it is through this Anglo lens, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. It, that, that, that shows up when we say, well, let's talk about sex among Puerto Ricans or other Latinos. It's still coming from that. Yeah, but everyone in this room moves to the world very differently and the world pushes very them very differently. So I think that for the context of this conversation, that is why it's clear to make those um, distinctions. Yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, because I, I it, it's funny, I also, um, at this point, 
we have will have aired the episode I did with Bianca Loriano. And so her entry into this discussion is very different as well. Um, even though she also identifies as um black, Latinx and, and Puerto Rican and and as someone who I always say, I ain't never had the distinctions. Like nobody ever looked at me and was like, oh, you could be. It was always your Negro. You're black. <laughs> it's always been interesting to me to to interact and talk with other Latinx folks and kind of talk about what blackness looks like for them because there are these different dimensions that you're talking about. And then and yet when we face with these systems and we come across these systems, there's this truncating that happens where it's like, oh, y'all are either all here or you're all there. And so I think it's important to make those distinctions and tease out the different pieces. Um, so thank you for starting us there. Let's get from there into sex, though. How did you go from Louis from, I think you said ninth in Indiana? Yes. What, what was that? From North Philadelphia, becoming the amazing Louis that you are with Grand Verones, with uh Louis mixtape, all of which we, all of which we're going to get into. How'd you get there? You know, I, I would say that folks who are not familiar with Knife in Indiana, like Nightline did a whole freaking documentary about our neighborhood in like the early nineties. <laughs> that was hella problematic. That is how we got the name the Badlands. Mm. Um, they did like a series on us. You can buy the video on Amazon, uh, but we don't shop from there, but it's not on YouTube, unfortunately. Um, mm-hmm. But it was a neighborhood that, like, a lot of men in inner cities in the 90s, like, plagued by crack, AIDS, violence, poverty. But even with all of that happening, there was always music, right? There was mm-hmm. always just joy, right? Um, mm-hmm. I mean, the struggle is was ever-present, but when the struggle is every day, it becomes like the sky, the blue, like, it's blue, you don't, you, you feel it, but you don't always notice that it's ongoing because it always is. So within that, you know, you find what you can find to, you know, give you some semblance of peace. And that is, that was music. I stayed in a house all the time. My mother um, struggled with crack addiction um, for many, many years. And, you know, I don't have a coming out story. Like I think, uh, you know, my mother, like she was a child, I know. It's good. But because of that, I got to keep your ass in the house because I can't keep going outside fighting everybody. So every time somebody calls you a name, right? So right. because I stayed right. in the house, I consumed so much entertainment, mm-hmm. right? That is mm-hmm. why I can tell you what was on Wednesday nights on ABC in 1992, right? Facts. Um, Facts. Yes. <clears throat> so I think because of that, like that is how I connected to the world that is how i made sense of the world how i made sense about my identity how i made sense about you know what i loved and what i didn't love what i thought what what love was going to be or what i thought Mm -hmm. what love or sex what i hoped it would be all of that is through the lens of music and that is what has guided me on my journey Mm -hmm. um and you know so like it, it was because of music you know i was a seventh grade high school dropout always wanted to go to the club to dance so funny i was allowed my mother didn't allow me to go outside but i was allowed to go to woody's every wednesday night (laughs) (laughs) to dance my ass off um and because because of that again my love for music i met someone who got me the opportunity to get into into hiv prevention 
Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, like it was because of my wanting to dance and meeting somebody else who loved to dance and was like, you know, hey, I think I may have this opportunity for you. I don't know. Call tomorrow. We'll see how it happens. And that is how, you know, and because of that, as a seventh grade dropout, that one experience led me to the opportunities of continuing my reengaging, continue with my education, wow. but also doing this mm-hmm. work. So like music literally saved. Was the path. Yes was the bridge. Wow. Wow. I love that. I love that. Yeah. It's so funny because y'all both have parts of your story that I was like, yeah, that was me. Like for me, it was about being a latchkey kid and the idea of like the streets were unsafe. So you have to be in the house. So like what you said, Louie, like I, I picked up everything from TV, from movies, like my whole life was (laughs) based on, you know, trying to be one of the Huxtables, trying to be on a different world, uh, auditioning to become a new member of En Vogue. Like that was my whole trajectory. And for me, it wasn't the tape player because I didn't get my first tape player until I was like a freshman in high school but it was a record player in my attic where my bedroom was and it was one of those kind of old Fisher Plyce ones but my mother's albums were up there so I was up there like the first time I got introduced to Stevie Wonder Songs in the Key of Life I was up in the attic playing her albums and put on Pastime Paradise and then looked at my record player like Cause that was right around the time that Gangsta's Paradise had come out, and I'm thinking, oh, that's original. <laughs> and then I look, <laughs> and then I'm listening, like, oh snap! Right, this whole new world, and 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 so I I wanted to have this particular episode one because it's gonna air the first week of June, which is Black Music Month, but also because I think there's not enough in my mind conversation about the ways that black music in particular helps inform the way we think about sex and even how it shows up in sex ed right i think often about the popular like how it, predominantly white but even some black folks like when we want to do with young people we they pull on salt and pepper which at this point is like this song is 30 years old <laughs> people you know let's talk about sex but i'm also just reminded of like like Sex lives and breathes in our culture in very, not just um, important ways, but very life affirming ways that I don't think get recognized as much as they should. Like I wouldn't know what it means to make love if it weren't for Boys to Men, if it weren't for Luther Vandross, if it weren't for, you know, the Whispers and like these older groups, the Isley Brothers. We just experienced the verses with the Isley Brothers and Earth, Wind and Fire, like, having those conversations, like I wouldn't know that, oh, pleasure is something that's even accessible if it weren't for those songs. And so I like, that's something that's coming up for me, even though, you know, we live kind of in this environment where the assumption is that, oh, everybody's afraid of sex. And it's like, not in these songs, we not like, <laughs> in the song, it's very grown folk. It's very, it's giving very, we out here, we doing our thing and we enjoy it ourselves. <laughs> Louis, did you have some thoughts about that? You know, I think the first, I'm going to just say Janet Jackson's Some Days Tonight was kind of like my Mm -hmm. entry into like what sex could be, right? But also from this very 80s perspective, right? Because it's a song about I'm ready, thank you for waiting tonight, I'm giving you a gift. And I remember hearing that like, because it falls in line with, you know, what's happening at that time, like, you know, the AIDS epidemic is raging. Um, we're getting messages around teen pregnancy. I don't know. Remember those messages like teen don't get like all of this was happening. Amon is a terrible thing to waste. So it's all these things that are happening. Absolutely. 
in concert with the release of Rhythm, Janet Jackson's Rhythm Nation, released on September mm-hmm. 16th, 1989. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Some Days Tonight <laughs> was kind of like it gave you i'm a virgin and tonight we're going to make love and it's going to be my gift to you and i remember thinking that was yeah. so sweet as a kid right like i'm innocent i'm right. not doing anything wrong but if i'm going to do if i'm going to have sex it's going to be like this is going to be a gift i'm gonna get my hair done it's going to be pretty not in order to make me feel mm-hmm. good but like what's going to make me feel good is what my how my partner is going to feel and I think a lot of those 80s mm. and 90s songs are about that. That's a good point. Um, and it's not neither yeah. good or bad, right or wrong. That's just where we were. And I think that when we, mm-hmm. you know, tease out also what was happening in the culture, like it's like, does the music inform the culture or does the culture inform the music? That's a good point. Yeah. And I think, yeah, it, well, I think the obvious answer mm-hmm. is that it's continually a back and forth, right? Because even when you look at, um, Janet's trajectory, right? We started with Let's yep. Wait a While, right? <laughs> Even though on the same album we had Funny uh, How Time Flies When You're Having Fun, which nobody likes to talk about, but I'm like, that's that's the real anytime yes, 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 in terms yes, of yes. the song to get you in. Um, but then we get to, like you said, Someday is Tonight, and then we get to, you know, um, we, we talked about this on Instagram the other day, the, the big reveal from the Love Will Never Do video, and then all of a sudden it's, Janet! Yeah. <laughs> but it really kind of matches this trajectory of like, yeah, when you're young, when you're maybe quote unquote in a more innocent space, that's how you need to perform mm. and that's how you need to portray. But after a while, like we get free, we recognize that we have the capacity to make healthy decisions and not only to make healthy decisions, but to decide what we want in terms of pleasure and fulfillment and what have you till we get to discipline. And now we're on stage <laughs> and pulling people on, right? And so it's this trajectory and recognizing like that is mm-hmm. normal. That is a part of a human trajectory. You're not gonna always be like, well, today I'm gonna have my legs closed. And because that's not good and it's not healthy and all of these things, it's like, no, it's part of the the spectrum. I mean, like even at, you know, house parties, I know people don't have them anymore. <laughs> Definitely not now. <laughs> well, you, they said they're remaking the film, which I was like, please don't, not remake Please, things, I, I, but... I, I, I will protest. <laughs> but like in the 90s, we would go to house parties and like Silk freaked me. Like, the, um, you know, I sang it because yes. it's a catchy ass song. But when you're in a party, the context changes, right? So if you're slow dancing with someone, yeah. it is a conversation around sex that you're having without having to say anything. When you're grinding on someone who's in the back of the wall to a reggae song or a hip hop song, you're having a conversation around bodies without, you're letting the Mm -hmm. song verbalize what is happening, but the body is moving. And I think that that Mm -hmm. for me is a perfect example of how like music and how music is part of the conversation um, around sexuality and black bodies. Yeah, absolutely. And what you <laughs> what you just said made me think of um being like even before I had a sexual debut before I even recognized myself as a sexual being, it was like, oh, this song comes on, you automatically know this is what you do yes. to that song. And so I think the song for me, there was many, but I know Adina Howard Freak Like Me was one. <laughs> All right. This songs, I know, but we, we talked about side chicks. SWV had a few um, where theirs were songs where it's like, oh, this is what you do to that song, any, right? Obviously, two lives. Yeah, any Luke song. That whole, 
any Luke song, right? Like you just, <laughs> they were, they were almost uh, instructive, if you will, <laughs> in terms of how you were to engage with it. Um, but yeah, because you, I'm not going to, you know, Jodeci, right? I was like, I'm not going to hear a voice to men song when I want to like just grind on the wall. <laughs> but like, yeah, Fiendin, absolutely. Freaking you, absolutely. Um, so thinking of all the amazing things you do, both with Grand Verones and with Louis Mixtape, what do you feel like your sex ed superpower is? Um, I think it's talking about history through music. Mm-hmm. Right, I love, you know, I love that we have the Cardi B's, the Saweeties, you know, um, Armante Butler, who's also Black Puerto Rican, who I work on Gravadonis with. Like, that is his, hey, that is his ministry, <laughs> right? Um, so, so all the new songs I know, I know through Armante. Okay, that is how he supports the older girls. Like, listen to this, because if we're at a party, I need you to know what we're dancing to. Um, right. So while I appreciate that, I think it's important for us to talk about our history in a way that we honor it and not compare it. Um, and yeah. I think that happens a lot. Like, well, you know, um, female women rappers weren't doing this in 1980. Well, let's talk about why they weren't. It's like, it, right. Like this, this was what was happening. This is what was going on. So I think my superpower is just bring, remind bringing that to the surface so that we can like, so people can make those connections that we were always talking about um, pleasure and sex um, do the dire of situations, right? Like it, right. like even for black queer folks, people were still making love and having relationships at the height of the AIDS epidemic, right? We don't yeah, hear that yeah. a lot. We hear like, oh my God, like we hear just all of the, you know, the death and while there was a lot and we were definitely impacted, continued to be, relationships were still happening. Joy, right. marriages were still happening. People were still getting it on. One night stands were still happening. Making wanting, mm-hmm. wanting to feel good in my ass, in my mouth, in my eyes, in my shoulders. That was all still happening. And it is my. I I hope that you know my goal is and is reminding folks that those things were happening and remind and but through the lens of music because that's how I remember stuff. Yeah, yeah. And what I feel so I'm I'm I asked that for a reason because I was hoping you would say what I wanted you to say and you absolutely did because I do I agree that that's your superpower. And what I love about it particularly as somebody who's whose lens is very much rooted in in the history of black folks in America, I love that you help folks be see the length, the length because I think that's also part of our culture of like honoring your elders and honoring like we don't have to compare but don't act like you're here out your you know in a vacuum and you just came up with stuff by yourself. It's like there's a history, there is a legacy and that is why you are able to fly today because of this like for example when WAP came out, the first thing I said was like spice ran so y'all could fly, right? Yes. Like hoes with an attitude uh crawl so y'all can walk. Like yes. don't act like y'all were the first ones ever to be like this is what i want you to do with my pussy right you know millie jackson you know and and being able to keep that like i and and i guess after i say this i would love for you to talk about how you even started why you decided to do your mixtape on on ig um but like i just love that because one it's it helps me remember like i'm not as old as i feel when i don't see my own culture represented in the pop culture anymore but also it just, again, just reminds folks like we have a history, we have a culture, we have a legacy and it all absolutely matters. 
So please talk about Louis' mixtape, which has gone through a few iterations at this point, but it, <laughs> it's all super amazing and I love it. That's also because I keep losing those damn designs and have to recreate them. I'm gonna get better at that. So you know, <laughs> okay. So in addition to you know like um, you know like being in quarantine and you know my son being 18, like he, mm-hmm. I'm coming to terms that he has his own life, right? Um, I've always yeah. tried to give him bodily autonomy. It hasn't always been easy to stick by that. And by that, I mean, like, he sent me a photo of his new sleeve tattoo um, that we didn't have a conversation about, but he went and got it. Um, and while my instinct is to say, what? <laughs> it is his body, right? And, right. I've, you know, as soon as he got it, he took a picture and sent it to me. So I bring that up because I want to record my history Mm -hmm. and my history is connected to all of my friends who are no longer here my mother who's no longer here my brother who's no longer here and i'm not going to wait for a book deal right um and i love talking about music i love talking about songs and because i remember them through moments of my life i wanted to to highlight them um and hopefully that you know younger folks like my son who hear that sample Right. He was playing a song and I was like, that's Jodeci's come and talk to me. Please no. <laughs> and it was like, what are you talking about? And I was like, give me your phone. And I played it. <laughs> and he was like, oh my God, that is like, it never occurred to him. And because I still right. feel young, I'm surprised when my son doesn't recognize a sample because that music is still new and fresh and vibrant to me. So Absolutely. I do, um, you know, um, Louis Mixtape one to remind folks of the journey of black and just popular music overall um, music that mm-hmm. was called urban music in the 90s and 80s yeah but also those are songs that soundtracked very important moments that are now being highlighted in documentaries right those are songs that mm-hmm. highlighted the crack epidemic um, the AIDS epidemic mm-hmm. um, the Reagan years the Bush years right and I think that while we get those documentaries around what was what terrorized us and what struggle was. It's like, let's also talk about the music that our mothers listen to on Sundays or music that we listen to in the attic or in the basement, right? Yes. Or when we were sitting down. On the school bus. Yeah, on the school bus. Going to, going to school, yeah. Or sitting on the stuff <laughs> on a weekend, like, uh, or the songs that we mm-hmm. kept the songbook of with lyrics. Um, mm-hmm. So that is my hope that, you know, that is my contribution in that, you know, I re- get to revisit what I experienced as a teen around my identity, around, you know, what I thought about sex and, you know, my first crushes and my first kisses, that it also serves as a documentation for my son to read when I'm no longer here. And that it inspires other people who may not identify as storytellers. Like, you know, if you have a, if you can remember where you were when you first heard Adina Howard's Freak Like Me, that is a story. Mm-hmm. And I bet yeah. that that story includes all of the things that was experienced by other people like you in your neighborhood. And it's only yeah. when I frame it yeah. like that, when I do workshops around storytelling, do people get it, right? So mm-hmm. I was like, tell you, mm-hmm. even if it's like, I remember first hearing a song, blah, 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 that you're documenting a part of history that is not um, recorded in mainstream media or records. And those are the stories that we need and that we're going to need 20 years from now. Yeah. Mm, That's so powerful. 
That's so, and that's so factual too. And I, for one, am appreciative <laughs> because you remind me of stuff. I'm like, oh shit, I don't remember. <laughs> I ain't listen to that. And like the, I think it was uh, K7, Come Baby Come. I was like, I ain't heard this song in about 30 years. Let me tell you, I, but when I tell you, I, I, I used to get my life to that song. I went to a dance audition for a hip hop video in the 90s and I was so nervous. And I get up to the front, and there were two black guys, I think two like producers, and they gave me the book of CDs. And like I'm going through it, and I guess I was taking too long. And he said, Why don't you dance to this one? And gave me K7. And I knew in the moment <laughs> why he told me to dance to K7. And my dumbass said, Yeah, I'll dance to Come Baby Come. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, what a what a what a moment! Society didn't get the gig, <laughs> but but you you've actually you toured as a dancer, yes. right? One day okay. I will tell more about that story. I was gonna say we don't have enough time to get into that, but I feel like that's a that's a kiki with Louie that I want to <laughs> be part of and learn more about. Um, so I'm gonna do something a little bit different for this next part of our conversation. Um, because I'm 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 serious in terms of shifting the way we think about sex ed and what's available to us. And so I'm 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 thinking of this portion as like the the sex ed syllabus, like thinking of a syllabus. If you were to use like create a sex ed course for Kate maybe let's say middle and high school kids that's based on just on songs. What songs would you use and and, and I'm gonna say black folk songs? Would you use to teach baseline concepts and ideas, or to facilitate conversations with young people from from the wide catalog? And you can go as far back as you want, or even something that just came out this year. What do you feel like are some songs that would be part of your syllabus? Um, I think the first one that came to my mind is "Let's Get It On" by Marvin Gaye. And I think, come on, because right, I think I think we hear it differently then pop culture hears it, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you, it's become a song, I think white mainstream media has, has made it a pun. Like if you watch a mm -hmm. sitcom or a commercial and they're talking about sex in a funny way, they play Let's Get It On. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They've tried to make it a parody. Like, and mm -hmm. replace to talk about sex in a very comedic way, which is the antithesis of that song. So it's interesting That's how that yeah. song was um, seen as racy, sexual, it, you know, it's it's seduction, right? Mm -hmm. And then over time, how it how when, you know, white hands get on it, it becomes something that plays in the background as a joke about sex. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think mm -hmm. that like how what was deemed too racy in the 1970s was deemed as something you can play in a commercial during the day. Mm -hmm. And who makes those mm -hmm. decisions uh, and how like one song like I think that's also like the journey. Uh, I think that's it encompasses like how people think about how mainstream media thinks about just thinks about sex through the black lens. Right, so mm -hmm. like it was sexy. It's sexy for us, but it's a joke here, right? So yeah. I think that would be one yeah. of the songs. Like, and the lesson would be just how people hear what we hear very differently. Yeah, yeah, 
Awesome. I love that. I love that. So, um, the song that came up in my mind was actually Seems Like You're Ready, mm. R. Kelly. Right? And I, I had a moment when we were talking earlier that I realized that I had self-centered, but I think it's also important to talk about how if you were a young person, especially a young black person in the 90s, there's not a single one of us that didn't have some type of influence listening to that music. Me, Aaliyah, and Brandy were born the same year. So 1979, right? So I was exactly the age that he was targeting with all of that. And so some seems like you're ready. That was a... The whole idea of that at the time when you're you're questioning, should I have sex? Should I not have sex? Like, what do I, you know, what do I want my experience and all of that to be? That was such a heavy theme. And and I and actually my experience with young girls now is that they're still asking that question. How do I know if I'm ready? How do I know? And really being able to explore, use that to not allow yourself in a situation where you're being exploited by someone who maybe is you know, too old for you to be dealing with, but thinking through like pleasure, thinking through like your agency of like, what would it mean for me to be ready? What would it mean? Like, what, what is it that I would even desire? Right. I feel like there's lots of different ways you could go with a song like that on top of introducing that hit and talking about what does it mean to be in a community and practice accountability around the history of this and around the ways that quite frankly, we allowed it to happen. Right. And so for me, that's definitely a song that I would have on my syllabus of like, let's talk through this and, and talk about what it meant to have been a young girl who thought she was ready and, or who's thinking she's ready. Right. And how do you negotiate or not or, peer, you know, regardless of gender, like what does it mean and how do you negotiate that or navigate that in ways that are still life affirming to you without being exploitative? As I was talking, I was like, yeah, definitely. I want to take gender off the table of this because especially um, when you talk about the adultification of, of black children, it, it happens across the board. This assumption that you're older, that you're more, not only that you're ready, but that you, you have more prowess, you have a certain skill set, you mm -hmm. have a certain capacity that does not necessarily match what actually is happening in your life. But, and when you also don't have the space to be able to talk about that, which again, I think is the why the importance of sex ed matters, having spaces where you can talk about your insecurities or your strengths and all of that, um, it, it amplifies the challenge. It ampl amplifies the trouble that um, a lot of our young folks end up facing. Okay, so I feel like we could do another round, Great. but I'm not gonna have that. I'm, I'm like, right and wrong ahead, way, because when you mentioned the R. Kelly song, I always get that song confused or mixed up with Keith Sweat's right and wrong way because they're similar. Yes. Like you may uh -huh. be young, yep. but I know that you're ready. But yeah, yep. That's another one. Yeah. That's another one. And I feel like that's a whole other discussion about like sexual precocity and how that got snuck under the radar in black music that we don't talk enough about. Um, and, it, and about how. And, and also it being played on Quiet Storm. Like, you know, like if it was, yeah. you know, when we're. I think a lot of stuff, you know, looking back, just made it under the radar the way things make it under the, under the radar when we're happy finally something has arrived. Yes. Right? Um, yeah. So I think that with the introduction of the quiet storm in the, you know, 80s, it's like this is a genre, this is a show clearly for Black folk um, led and run by Black folk talking about 
indirectly, right? Sometimes directly about mm-hmm. sex. And then, you know, have an artist make music for that um, format. Then those songs mm-hmm. get played on that format without necessarily, mm, let's, let, let's revisit this, um, the, these lyrics, right? So right. I think that that's, let's revisit what yeah. This means. So I think that like yeah. artists like Keith Sweat um, and R. Kelly were able to slip those things in there because it was couched as a quiet storm sexy song Mm -hmm. but also in that same vein of you know like some days tonight that there's innocence that part of what makes sex romantic is if someone in it is innocent and giving up something to the person Mm -hmm. for the first time right that's what makes or being carried into this careful caretaking uh, moment absolutely that is like clean sex because it's that that's how you know there's trust there because someone is giving up something to someone that they love yeah yeah Mm. see all of that y'all want to be in the sex ed course you want to be there i know you do right (laughs) Absolutely, because we'd be going in and having these conversations. Absolutely. Two years ago, my son was listening to this song. So he's like 16. And I'm cleaning the house. And obviously, he listens to music that I don't listen to. Mm-hmm. Uh, music that my... We got to get his perspective on Throat Baby. Yeah, <laughs> stuff like that, right? He, so he listens to stuff. Right. And it reminds me of you know, what my brother listened to. Like I listened to Karen White, Mariah and Janet. Mm-hmm. And he was like, Kooji Rap. Wu-Tang Clan, like, so like, it was like, sonically very different. And the same was with Mm -hmm. my son. So I'm cleaning, because my mama reads me, right? And he is playing some hip hop song. I sound like an old person. He's playing some, he's playing some rap song. Because we are old, it's okay. We grown. And the lyric (laughs) is, I hear the lyric like, she's such a freak that she even played with herself. (laughs) And I wasn't, you know, I, I stopped cleaning because in my head, I'm like, how is she a freak? Because she plays with herself. <laughs> that was my first thought. <laughs> so I'm like, so I go to my son and I say, can you pause that? And I say, can you rewind that real quick? And he he says, oh, no, no, I can't. I, 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 I'll play the clean version. I was like, oh, no, no, I have no problem with that. I'm just like, he said that she's a freak because she plays with herself. And I want to know how is that freaky? Right, because playing with yourself and masturbation, everyone does it. It's normal. So how is it that? What do you hear when he said that? He said, "I just like the right. song." So um, the conversation didn't really go anywhere because I, I think that he just was like, "I am not talking about sex with my father." Got to get in defense, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> but it reminded me of like as a parent that um, that there there is a way to engage when your young people are listening to this music, right? Like, what do you hear when they say that? Or why do you think he says that? Or like, I don't think that's freaky. There are a lot of quote unquote freaky things that people can do. That is not one of them and keep it moving, right? So I think that like there is a way to incorporate song as a way to begin these conversations. Absolutely. Right, even if it's in the car on the way to the school, say, hey, can you play that song again? Or just, you know, I think we're fed this, notion or this narrative that people oftentimes fall into believe because they're afraid is that we are powerless over the music young people consume that's it no and we can be in concert with it the the music helps us or supports us to have those conversations 
right? Maybe like yeah. I was not going to ever have a conversation with my son and say, hey, let's talk about masturbation. Because he would run, he would be that car that Dominique just described. <laughs> There'd be a backfire, like he would run out. But because of that song, we were able to have somewhat of a conversation of why masturbation is not unquote freaky because freaky a woman does yeah. it, right? right. Um, and that would have right. not happened had it not been for that song. And I do this kind of work. And yes. I still struggle yes. with how to have these conversations with my son. So I can only imagine what it's like for people who don't have that's a good point. This right, so that 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 that's allowed me to give grace to parents who may be resistant and say like, yeah, I some you know as a parent, I sometimes feel that I'm losing control of what my son is consuming. But then I remember mm-hmm. that's not how I roll. That can be an instinct that mm-hmm. I have, and then I have a conversation with myself, so like. Mm, he can play whatever he want to play. My mother let me play whatever I want to play. Why are you uncomfortable with what's being played? Mm-hmm. And instead of telling him mm-hmm. to turn it off, how can this be a conversation? Even if it's just, right. who sings that song? Okay, I mean, just Shazam it real quick. As a reminder mm-hmm. for me to bring up the next time we're in the car and I play it to bring it up. So I think there's an opportunity right. to use music as an entryway to connect with your young people. Yeah. Yeah. You actually go right into the next question that I have, Louis. If Let's say you have someone who's listening, who's like, Louis, I think you've got some gems in what you just said. What What's the first step? If I want to learn how to talk to my young person about the music that we are both listening to, because I like Meg Stallion too. Like, how do I start that conversation? How do I, or, or maybe it's a, con- what conversations do I need to have with myself before I, I do that work? I would say, you know, what helps me in all conversations is trying to remember that there's no right or wrong. Mm-hmm. Right, the my young, you know, my son is not wrong for listening to that song. That song is not wrong, right? Mm-hmm. It is an experience, it's a reminder of how people experience sex, how people experience masturbation, right? If I, if I, if I not qualify it as wrong, then the, the, the songwriter and the artist is reminding me how we still need to do work around conversations around masturbation and relationships with young black men. Mm-hmm. Right. And once I have that reminder, once I don't qualify it as wrong and, oh my God, I got to tweet that artist. And I, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. once I don't, you know, say, well, well, I raised my son better than that. Why is he listening to that song? He should be listening to Mariah because I only want gospel in this house. Once I <laughs> once I remove that wrong, I'm like, okay, he, so there's something about him connecting to the song. Is it the right. artist as a whole? Is it the music? Right? So I'm so if I'm not in the space of somebody's wrong here and I'm right, so I have to fix it, I'm able to see everything that's at play. Mm-hmm. And that positions mm-hmm. me to have a more intentional conversation. Right. So I would say the tip is no right or wrong. You know, there's nothing right and there's nothing wrong. Try to remember that when you're about to have a conversation, um, because it will prevent you from accusing your young person, your your child. Um, It would also stop you, uh, hopefully, from centering yourself in that you somehow did something wrong along the way. It is Mm -hmm. what it is. Talk Mm -hmm. about what is and have a conversation, um, you know, that. It, that that is two way that what they have to say is important as much as what you have to say 
Um, there's nothing to fix and there's nothing wrong, right? Yeah. It's just an opportunity to be closer and to build that relationship that we want to have. And I know that is hard, but I, mm -hmm. but before I go into this conversation, I remind myself there's nothing right or wrong here. I'm not right. I'm not fixing anything. And that helps to ground me or give me somewhat of an agenda or a guidance. Yeah, gives me a guidance around how to have that conversation. And it does get easier yeah. the more you have it. It's awkward in the beginning because there is a feeling that your power as a parent is being diminished. You know, so there's so much there. Like, am I failing my son? What do people think I'm failing? I do this work. And if I can't have this. So once I'm like, there's nothing wrong here. What people think about me is none of my business. Right. And, and then so I because it's not fair for me to bring that to my son. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, mm -hmm. So that's yeah. Mm -hmm. So no right or wrong. There's nothing to fix. There's a bridge to build. Mm, I love that. That's the quotable. Yes. Yes. There's nothing to fix. Only a bridge to build. Love it. All right, Louis, tell us about Grand Veronis. Um, it is a digital project that focuses on culture, history and storytelling. Um, so like Louis mixtape, I think that's the <clears throat> they have a connection where we talk about um, raise music, I mean, raise history through pop culture, like shows that had queer characters, um, either that were um, either existed in code or who were out. Um, we do a lot of AIDS history. We're now running a series on songs that soundtracked um, the AIDS epidemic. Um, we also mm -hmm. do community storytelling, collecting stories and experiences of um, Latino and Black Latinx folks throughout the country. Um, and yeah, it's a great, great project. I work on it with Armante Butler. Shout out to Armante. Um, and we're yes. about to launch our second um, Gravarones Digital Positive Digital Arts Fellowship. Uh, we got some money to um, support other creatives, um, HIV positive creatives throughout the country to do storytelling because um, we you know we believe that you know again get our stories out there. Because 20 years from now, when people are asking how we survived and thrived in this time, they'll be able to hear it from us and not through just through academic journals. Um, so, yeah, yeah, so it's good. People who weren't there. People who weren't there, <laughs> don't know it, don't want to be there. Um, and mm. it's Gravadonas in all social media platforms. Um, so, yeah, so check it out. Yes, yes, yes. I love it. And and if there is space, although I'm, I feel like more the answer is I'm going to make space, I would love to have you come back and us really get more specifically into the HIV activism because Grand Run is a, such a special project. And as much as possible, I try to like, if there's any way for me to give voice to it, I'm like, please come, please come share because it, it boggles my mind the way that folks are just like oh well we don't know anyone and we can't say and we just don't and, and where are they and it's like we're right here yeah. like, we're here we're here yes mm. yes okay so i always close my interviews with my rapid fire questions so they're basic sentence stems you answer with whatever comes to your gut okay okay all right so the first one is sexiness is um, sexiness is music. Okay, bet. The sexiest thing about blackness and or black people is? The sexiest thing about black people and blackness is authenticity. Mm, yes, love it, love it, love it. My go-to for feeling sexy is? 
Oh my god. Um, my go-to for feeling sexy is a ring light. <laughs> Come on, illuminate. Illuminate, yes. <laughs> I love that. Okay. Sexual freedom for black folk is achieved when? We don't give a hell what white people gotta say. Period. Period. <laughs> Awesome. Last one. When I'm done being on this podcast, I will. Go for a walk with my dog, Damon. Yes. Oh, Damon. <laughs> oh, my gosh. This has been such a wonderful conversation. I'm so filled and so thankful. Any last words you want to share with the people before we close it out? Anything at all? Um, no, I thank you for um, inviting me to have this conversation. You have totally made my day. Um, yeah. The last thing I would say is Made like, uh, you know, like really, 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 really listen to the young people in your life. You'd be surprised how much they know and how much they want to work in partnership with you to support them and guide them. Ooh. Um, <laughs> with that, we are done. Thank y'all for listening and take care. Talk to you next time. You've been listening to TSOB with Dr. G, produced by Dr. Tracy Q. Gilbert of Tembi and I. To keep up with all things TSOB, follow us on social media at TSOB The Podcast, which you can find on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. For past episodes of the show, visit TSOBpodcast.com or subscribe to the show either on YouTube or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Now, don't forget that you've got homework for this episode. To find the downloadable worksheet for this or any other episode of the show, head on over again to tsobpodcast.com where you'll find it and any other important information from the show notes. And finally, do you have any questions or thoughts to share? Sound off by email at mailbox at tsobpodcast.com. Again, this was TSOB, the sex ed of black folk. Thank you for listening. Talk again soon.